1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
2: Knockback, the retro and nostalgia podcast is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash last stand media. And salutations welcome back to knockback my name is colin moriarty i'm joined as always by my brother dagan moriarty dagan i have nothing you know to call you today because i feel like we don't have a top like we don't really have a topic that i can grab from right okay. it's a more amorphous topic i don't know what to say i mean about We're, about this so something you has are today, finally
3: just- rendered colin moriarty speechless
2: yeah i don't know i don't know i was thinking about it and i'm like well, what can you say that's not just you don't want to just say something to say something you want to have it mean something otherwise it's just an, a, a needless tradition right? i understand what you're saying i was thinking more
3: of like i'm going to start doing a thing where this would only be applicable to our watchers not our listeners but i was just going to be doing something while you talked and then after you made the
2: introduction say oh hi <laughs> like you like you
3: just dropped in
2: you you got to do like the newscast you know the newscaster uh, this will only be good for our video listeners but our viewers but the newscast like commercials where they're like They've been keeping like, up that same
3: charade for decades. Or we could do the sitcom thing where it's like, you know, it's like they do the deadpan like,
2: yeah, exactly. It's it's just like the too many cooks intro that from five, six, seven years ago. That was <laughs> like twelve minutes of that. That was awesome. Very similar so funny.
3: Yes, it's been it's been done. It's been done. We have to think of something more creative. How are you doing today? What's going on with you?
2: I'm good. I have to say. Uh, well, first of all, welcome everyone to Knockback. And Hello, I have to say. Hey I tried something last night that I hadn't done ever really. And uh, I, it was a, a bit of a challenge, but it's, I guess it's no big deal, but I, I tried to go to, I went to bed last night. I went up, Mike and I usually go up around 11 or 1130. That's not then, too late. Okay. That's no, no. And then like, we, but I'm up for hours Some, you know, sometimes after that. But what I did was I left my phone downstairs and I actually went and bought an alarm clock just like a digital clock just so I can see what time it is. And sure. I still have my PS5, my TV, which is connected to the PS5, and then I have books, which is what I'm trying to, you know, I haven't really been reading and stuff. So I and I feel like I just check this thing all the time for no reason. Okay. Like there's right. like what do I need to be on this for all the time? Not not during your day when you're reading things and stuff, but at night. I sure. feel like it's no. I, I explained it on on our Discord, and of course, if you join us on Patreon and and uh support us there you can gain access to the discord patreon.com slash last name media early access to the show etc you know the drill by now but I was reflecting over there that I think the difficulty with the internet and with smartphones is that there's no end I used to be comfortable saying like this movie's over this tv show's over whatever but there's just no end to the twitter feed there's just no end to wikipedia there's just no end and
1: I feel like it was also
2: I feel like it was also keeping me up like there was no, there were a few times where I would get up to use the bathroom in the middle of the night and come back to bed and not just go on my phone for no reason, okay. right? Like, and so, it. right, just yeah. to be like, oh, what's going on in the world? So I went right. upstairs at like 11 and I came downstairs at like 10 today. And so I went that time without knowing what was really going on in the world. And it was kind of nice. And I'm trying to distance myself from things more and more. I had explained on Sacred Symbols, I think that, you know, I basically stopped using Twitter because I found it to be. I still promote our stuff there, but otherwise I don't really use, I don't, I read my feed, but I don't read my mentions and I don't get involved in anything anymore because I found it to be like way too parasocial and destructive. And I've been doing that for like almost a month now and it feels great. Like I'm definitely not going to go back unless they really start managing Twitter differently. So I'm trying to find out different ways that I can decouple myself from just technology and just, feeling like I always need to have my finger on the pulse or feel like I always just need to have access. And it reminded me, I wanted to bring it up on the show because the show is all about nostalgia. And it, ro- it it's a nostalgic feeling of being worried of being bored when I'm, I was a kid. And we have said on the show in the past that I find boredom impossible, especially in the modern era. I just don't understand being bored. Yet I have this fear of being bored. And it reminds me of being a kid where if the internet was down or earlier than that, if you didn't have TV or like you didn't have access to things, you were just kind of hamstrung. And for some reason I have this real feeling where I'm like, I got to combat that actively. But in reality, we don't live in that world anymore. And so it's incumbent upon me to in turn get away from it because it used to get away from you and that's not the way it is anymore. So
3: no, it's true. That
2: was kind of my philosophical pensive scenario that I was living through today. And what's funny was that when I went upstairs yesterday, I was like, oh, I'm not gonna do it yet. And I left my phone downstairs on accident. And then I was like, oh, I'll just leave it. And we'll just, you know, just cold turkey. And how did that
3: go? How did it it went fine? I
2: read for a little while and then I just fell asleep. It was great. There you go. Now who knows how it will go in the future, but that's 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 the intent.
3: I like it. I mean I like like that dedication to unplugging. I think it's healthy. I do think you're right. Like the social media, the constant feed, like the no end no beginning and no end sort of thing, the nature of it, yeah, it just kind of plays into anxiety and some sort of pressure, right? Even, Especially someone I could imagine with your social media presence, your following, um, you have a big following, you're a little bit of a social media celeb. So I can understand that for sure. I think, yeah, we could take a page out of that. As a parent, we're always trying to limit our kids on social media and – games and unplugging and decompressing going outside you know like go look out into the distance instead of looking two feet in front of your face that type of thing just take a page out of that for ourselves as adults and just do that kind of thing too because even the nature of our work right like i work all day i'm referencing things on google we're having discussions i'm on constant zoom calls it's a very social thing even with the covid even with the nature of covid and not working in the same physical you know location as your coworkers and colleagues and stuff so yeah man i could totally understand that for sure yeah i commend so you for that you. and now that you mentioned it i noticed it i I noticed that you have a you've been a little bit like a little bit less less and less with every day like a little here a little less from colin like you said you're still uh, promoting all the lsm stuff
2: but yeah i don't, I don't think like i've you. tweeted about like myself because i basically had kind of just a, a break with it where i was just like i can't It really is. It's a term that was brought to my attention a few years ago, but this parasocial kind of thing online, where people—it's not—I think people get it confused, and I don't want to conflate issues. I don't care that people don't like me. That's that's one. That's its own thing, right? I can't control that. There's nothing I can do about that. I also don't mind. I mean, it's not nice, but I don't mind that people talk shit about me or to me. That's also its own thing, and it's not what bothers me. What bothers me is that people talk to me like they know me, and I know that's a difficult thing to hear sometimes, but you don't know me and you shouldn't be comfortable saying and doing certain (laughs) things to or around me. I'm sorry. (laughs) Right. And so like what came to head for me was that I was congratulating a friend of mine who's a controversial person in politics about this big entrepreneurial deal he did. Sure. And people just wanted to get in there and just insult him and insult me and insult our relationships. And I'm like, you don't fucking know me. You don't know him. You don't know the nature of our relationship. And the only way I can combat this is to be like, I just, I'm not going to, I'm just not going to post about anything anymore. I think that's that's, that's, really that's over, you know, I like, that's and very healthy. I'll be so I'm I'm on, I'm on discord. Again, we have discord. We have thousands of people on our discord. You have to be part of our Patreon to join it, but it keeps out the riffraff. And frankly, yeah. even when the riffraff isn't kept out, Dustin and I have talked, we've removed people from our own paying, you know, not many one, once in a while, like once okay. in a blue moon, but you can't. Because some people think that they can pay and then insult you or try to get involved. Right. And it's like, no, (laughs) get up in front of that paywall. Then you could do your thing. So, yeah, I feel like I had to be more proactive and I'm feeling like I'm just trying to take I, I really am an action oriented person, even though I'm pretty passive and whatever in my life, like I understand that I have to keep things in motion. There's always something in motion in my life because I don't like static. Time wasted is just time wasted, right? Like it, there's a million things to, like, that are being done around the house, the pool and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I always have to have something in play. So I know something going, something's going on. This yeah. just takes something out of play for me. Like it lessens my anxiety because when you tweet something or put something out there, there's it's so annoying because people are so pedantic where it's like you can say anything and there's gonna be someone being like, actually, and so. Oh, no, absolutely. And, and to anything. me, I'm just like, nah. At this point, I'm just, I find it a useful RSS feed to engage with. I read it. Right. I don't go into my mentions. I don't really have any mentions anymore because no one really tweets at me. Yeah. And man, then I just tweet out thing. and then I just tweet out our content. And I've said before, too, that I really just I do feel like Twitter is a good way to let people know you're still alive. But tweeting our content doesn't really mean anything either. Like, no, we don't get any almost any traffic from that. So. Right. That's just a thing to remind people that are there that, hey, maybe you, there's something interesting here. But what I've realized, Dagan, is that I listen to so many people that don't engage in social media or don't engage much in social media, the Sam Harris's and the Lex Friedman's and stuff where you hear from them once in a while, but they're not like everyday doom scrolling on Twitter. And you realize that these people just do their own things and find their audiences naturally, and you don't need to engage in this active way. And I think that was something I was also worried about. Mm-hmm. And removing myself for the last month or so has not had any real negative effect or no negative effect. anything. So. That's all.
3: Aw- I mean, that's awesome to hear. And I think it's really healthy what you're doing. Somebody of your station, it's interesting the way the nature of celebrity has changed with social media, because I think it has removed or it has removed barriers. At least it's perceived that it's removed barriers. So people do feel like they know you, for instance, right? Just because they listen to your content or they've listened to you for a decade or so on your, your, you know, from IGN to kind of funny to now, like they feel like they know you and then they feel like they could be, yeah, you feel familiar. You know what I mean? So it's it, it almost like, would they do that with a Johnny Depp? Would they do that with a, you know, whoever else, whatever other Uber celebrity there is. So yeah, I think there's some level where it's perceived like social media celebrity seems like more accessible, even though it really isn't, you know what I mean? Even though, even though we, and also like we interact with our audience too. We build that into the content and all of that. But yeah, maybe it's just the fact of people remembering, most people do, but that small smaller percentage of people remembering to abide by a certain set of manners or, you know what I mean? Like you don't, we're not neighbors. We're not friends. We're not, we didn't grow up together. We don't, we probably never physically met face to face. And maybe that gets lost in the shuffle for some people. Maybe it's younger people. I don't know. But it's not. We know that it's not just younger people from some of the toxic things that you have dealt with. It is adults. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like,
2: it's just it's it's not it's no insult to anyone. Sure. It's just I love like casual interactions, meeting people, shaking hands, taking pictures, whatever we do when we're out and about. But I realize that there's just always I have to remove. I can't be normal. I've, I've just kind of realized that it's not like I can't walk or no one knows who I am in person. I'm saying there are certain places that you just can't be normal if you're no, if you're known. And I just can't interact with the world in a normal way. Yeah. On social media. So I just choose not to do that anymore. I think
3: and, it's smart. Dude. And
2: it's been good. So anyway, that connects to me going phoneless and then trying to, yeah, just try to get reconnected with a sort of. uh more analog lifestyle go off the
3: grid give it like three more months you'll be like in wisconsin some i couldn't imagine i i would say
2: if satellite if satellite internet was good it's not but if if they get to a place where satellite internet was good i would love to live off the grid because and not literally off the grid but just be like i'm just living in the middle of nowhere and all i would need really all you need is great internet and you'll have everything like that that's all you need so oh, like absolutely. you would, and you could even have solar panels and well it's water and is. stuff so all you would need is like to draw satellite internet and, but it's just not very good. So I hear you on
3: that. Why did I say Wisconsin? I met Wyoming. Sorry, Wisconsiners.
2: Milwaukeeers. Milwaukee Milwaukee. <laughs> so Dig, uh anything to uh discuss before we go into our business here?
3: No, you know, I was just getting aggravated this morning. I don't even know what dredged it up for me because it's something that happened last week. I I just very brief. Please. I called a pizza place, Mm. okay, to order dinner. This was last week sometime. Now, I'm thinking about averages. We've lived here for 10 years. So we've been basically customers of this pizza joint for the better part of a decade. Mm. And probably like what? In all fairness, probably purchase food from them like twice a month. Right. So first of all, you know, in New York, you know how that is. Normally, Long Island, the five boroughs, Manhattan, whatever. Like, you get to you build a rapport with the people that work there. Maybe the owner. After a while, there's a certain amount of time that builds up, and then there's a familiarity, and then people say hi, how you doing, has the family, has the wife. You know, you at least acknowledge that you recognize each other. Right, right,
2: right, right. right. Of course, of course, of course. Never
3: happened at this place. You know, which aggravates the shit out of me because I know, you know who I am because I've been coming here since I was 37 years old, 10 years ago, and I've been coming frequently. It's not like I pop in, um, you know, I pop in once a year. So that's, but that's a whole nother thing. So I call them last week and I'm ordering my food. And in that list of items, I say, one of the usual things I order for Helene and I, we share it. I say, give me a chicken parm sandwich, extra cheese, extra sauce. Oh, I'm sorry. I said, give me, I said, let me have a chicken parm hero. Okay. The New York came out. Give me an extra, a chicken parm hero, extra cheese, extra sauce. Young girl on the phone. She goes, I hear there's like a brief beat, a pause. And she says, you want a chicken parm sandwich? Now, if she knew what I meant, she couldn't just let it go. She couldn't just go with the hero thing. She was basically what she was telling me was we, we don't say that here. Type of thing,
2: but is it? Could it be that she meant thought? See, this is the problem I, when I moved to Boston that I found about the word hero. Okay, it's not just. And this, I'm not letting her off the hook because it's probably not true, but it could be a possibility. Is that when you say that word in some Greek or Mediterranean?
3: Oh, what do
2: they think? Hero, I understand. Now you're going which with the we gyro call thing? gyros. Yes. Right? Now okay. this is a thing that's surprising to people. This is just like the no mustard on McDonald's and and Burger King burgers on Long Island in New York City. It's true. It's true There it's is totally no record true. on those works, Right? Okay, so totally. that's true. Now, 100%. another, another, you know, so these are these are various, just I think, local differences, obviously the way we call sandwiches. But I, I I did have a situation where I called, just I just remember because I was in Boston University House of Pizza on Huntington yeah. Avenue, and I asked for a Euro or a Hero, and they were like, a Euro? And I was like, a gyro? And they were like, <laughs> no, it's Euro. And I'm like, I'm saying hero. And they're like, you just want like a grinder right and i'm like so it gets yeah. a
3: little confusing
2: right so that but boston's pizza parlors are very greek now i'm not i'm not giving the people in philadelphia and the philadelphia suburbs uh, an excuse cuz they might not have the same excuse yeah but i'm just saying that that, that is the that word can be a little bit of a mine Yeah, you know, I didn't think of that. You're definitely giving her a caveat right now.
3: And you know what? In all fairness, in urban Philadelphia, the pizza places also not all, but very a lot of them do tend also to be Greek, which is something we didn't we weren't used to because on Long Island, it's the diners that are Greek, right? The pizza parlors are not Greek. Pizza parlors are typically not Greek in New York, where we're from. So, but I just felt like I felt like it was a provincial thing. Like she was saying, like you know, use the proper provincial parlance use good alliteration. wow look at you provincial look at that alliteration. Holy oh i know holy. i was gonna say my goodness all right well jesus that was completely it that was that was that was, uh... that was unexpected
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> but you know i just felt like her attitude and also it's the type of thing too with this this girl do, will do the thing this aggravates the shit out of me too mm. is show on a busy. you know i usually you know you order pizza on a busy friday saturday i understand they're busy but she will do the thing have you experienced this where it's like Randazzo's Pizza. I just called you out, but sorry. Randazzo's Pizza. Please hold. And like before, you're gonna say okay. It's just like that's it. The, you're, they're gone, right? Then they usually See. come back. It's two minutes. It's already you're already aggravated, right? Then you get the hero spiel, right? It's right. like you know, wow, I, you're really amped up right now. I feel like Maybe it's what time to go she to a was saying place. was please say it the way we say it. And then I'm just thinking in my head like you're probably 19. I've been in Philly since I was 20. So I've been here for 27 years. So that makes me much more of a Philadelphian than you are at your tender young age. Sure, sure. Number one. Number two is, this is a region known for a sandwich, right? You got the Philly cheesesteak. Have a little bit of, let there be a little play in the sandwich terminology. I know you do the hoagie thing. I know the hoagie thing is typically a cold sandwich. I get it. like, And I'm down. But if I say hero- New York is 75 miles from here. I didn't come from Mars or the moon. You know what I mean? It's like, come on, like you're our neighboring city. Like you could, you could accept hero. And what did, I, what did I mean? Like it's not a Greek, listen, it's not a Greek pizzeria. It's, a, it's, a, it's an Italian pizzeria. I know the owner. What did she think I meant? Extra cheese and extra sauce on the back of like a caped superhero. You know, like I meant to say, well, it's a hero. How do you not know? So I, I, you know, and maybe they don't. I mean, maybe they don't. Right. We don't say pop. And upstate New
2: York is really close to here. So we, but if if someone said pop to me, I'd be like, okay, I mean, you're fucking crazy that you say that, but I'm going to, I understand (laughs) what you mean.
3: The pop thing is weird too, because it's like Rhode Island and then it skips over some places and then it's like upstate New York and then it skips out to like Wisconsin. It's very strange. And then also, I'll give you guys a little foreshadowing for a future conversation. We'll get into, because I don't think we've ever talked about this on the show, the very aggravating war that has been brewing for decades over, is it sprinkles or jimmies? Oh, New man. York with their sprinkles and Philadelphia with their jimmies. Yeah. Which is just, Jimmy's and is people, just a, get, that's, people that's get amped up. People a, get upset. A, Jimmys is abhorrent. That's an abhorrent term. <laughs> we don't Stop need to call sprinkles Jimmy. that. We'll get into this conversation. I have something to say about this, but for now, we should probably roll into the topic. Yeah, I know we have
2: have some sort of time constraint today, although I don't think we're even going to have to worry about it. We'll see what happens. But Ah, we're fine.
0: The Angie's
1: List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly,
2: I had this idea, people like these one-off topics that we do, and I had this idea, because we don't do enough about music, and I think we can revisit music much more, because we're both huge music fans, so I'm trying to think more about, like, well, what could be an interesting thing that's outside of our favorite albums and all that, and favorite songs, bands, which we've done, and we'll continue to do stuff like that, so what I thought about were was, what if each of us selected five songs that just reminded us of a place, or an event, or a time, and Explain why and and what the song is and why that that uh, song is associated with the time in question or the event in question or the person or place or whatever in question. And what I think is interesting too is that I don't even know if I'm interpreting some of these songs correctly in terms of their the intention of the song and what they're trying to say. Sometimes it doesn't even matter. I have a pretty narrow view of how I look at this topic. I'd like to make it broader as we do it in the future. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know how does this topic idea strike you? Just kind of dredging up some. Pardon the pun. There are no dredge songs in here, but pardon the pun. <laughs> we're dredge, We're dredging up the you know songs from the past that bring us to a place or remind us of something. I don't know. I I, I like this idea, and as I was scrolling through my playlist, because as everyone knows, as I've said many a time, my playlist on Spotify is just one playlist. It's just every song that I've ever wanted to listen to is in one, one playlist. cohesive. Wow. And it's completely tracks are on you listen- there. Do you oh know? God, a, a lot. Let me see thousands I can, I mean, oh many thousands yeah wow yeah, yeah thousands yeah. that's incredible so and so I was just scrolling through it and things popped out to me now I think I could scroll through it over and over and over again and then come up with like 50 more answers so I'm not saying that these are five songs I want to be clear at least in my interpretation these are not five songs that I have the five greatest stories about sure, or that sure. or the five most poignant moments in my life. I don't even think I can talk about some of those songs and some of those moments and some of those events. But because it involves other people too intimately and I don't mean in bad, good ways, I mean sometimes in bad ways. So good I point. I just grabbed these songs that I think represent a, a swath of things that have happened um and we can talk about them. Now, I'm going to throw it over to you because I want you to go first, but how yeah. did you inter- how did you interpret this interpret this assignment? Did you interpret it similarly to the way I did?
3: Yeah, I think so. I think we're on the same wavelength with that. I was really excited when you brought this one up because it's a fun one. And, you know, it's, it's automatically not your favorite albums, not necessarily your favorite songs, but like those songs that transport you back in time, like you said, to a certain time, a certain place, certain memories. And so, you know, at its core, these are songs that are nostalgic for us. And you know what was interesting, Kyle? I thought it would be hard when I sat down to just jot down which songs maybe come to mind. And seven songs came right into my head like almost immediately. And they're all at different ages. And of course, two of them were relegated now to honorable mentions. And I chose the core five, but it was like it was it wasn't like a narrowing down or a vetting process at all. It was just like, oh, these, yeah, it's these specific things which are all very specific And I hope fun, mostly fun memories. And then, of course, I did what you did, too, like those songs that were maybe a little more bittersweet or reminded you of some unfortunate memories, ex-girlfriends or things that happened in the family that were more like sour experiences, I would say. But for for me, just for pure nostalgia, it almost popped right into my head, which was really interesting, especially now where I I just think I need like geek ginkgo, you know, but um. My memory seems to be slipping a little bit in my old ginko age. Ginkgo Baloba. You, you don't hear too
2: much about Ginkgo biloba. Anymore. I know. What I happened at
3: Ginkgo? It was very 90s, I feel like.
2: Everyone was taking. Remember, Dad used to take, like, uh, he used to go into Chinatown and get those like weird extracts. tinctures. Yeah. And he would just fucking shoot those things. He Dude, may what still do, you do that, actually. I don't know what the hell. He is. Dad, is, dad is just a man of stories and mystery. He's an enigma in so many ways. I I it don't really know. Is what that was all about but anyway dagon i want you to uh kick us off with the first of five songs we've narrowed okay. it down just to keep things you know just to keep things moving just keep and it music, moving it. <laughs> by the way total non sequitur before we get into this though what have, what have you been thinking about some of the um the sopranos memes i've been sending you but they're Dude. like sopranos and other it like so i sent you a codec conversation of the metal gear of, one yes, yeah yeah, yeah. There are ma- where are those from? Are you making those? No, no, oh my god, no, I'm not making it. Oh, okay. There are You're meme geniuses. Them. So I always say that memes are like a take a penny, leave a penny tray. Yeah. And I do make a meme and throw it in there. I don't I don't sign it. I don't do anything about it. And I've seen them circulate, right? So some of those some there's some memes out there that are pretty popular that are mine. Yeah. But but 99% of the time I take them from someone else. You okay. Know? That's what But I, I like the give and take. Yeah. That's very nice. Yeah, and that one actually
3: uh, hit close to home the one you sent yesterday because I was in the supermarket parking lot walking from my car to the store and it made me laugh. And I'm watching The Sopranos again and we just got through with Metal
2: Gear Solid 3. Go watch, you bastards. Um, sorry Man, about some that. some people are that upset was... about that episode, I'll tell you. Yeah, Metal, Gear, Metal, Gear, Metal Gear fans just... Oh, no, no, I don't want to say upset. Metal Gear fans... Let's be honest. Metal Gear fans are annoying, right? <laughs> they're just... There they're are just annoying fan bases. Dark Souls fans are annoying. There are just certain fan bases that are annoying, and they're, they're one of them now. I just didn't really know it until we did those two episodes, but I know it for sure now. Now you know. Yeah. Proof they're positive. There. They're in there. You know? <laughs> anyway, Dick, hit me, with your, uh, hit me with your first song here. Let's go All right, go so my
3: first track, I, I was excited to share this one with you, and actually my second, I think mine go in order, my five songs. And the, the first two were from before you were born, so I thought this would be particularly fun to share. Now, song number one, a classic, Fleetwood Mac Dreams, okay? And you may already know where I'm going with this, Kyle. This song, an iconic song, it was fun to do a little bit of research about this, off of Fleetwood Mac's 1977 album, Rumors, which was their 11th studio album already in 1977. Like, Fleetwood Mac was
2: around a long time. Yeah. Makes me feel young. People were putting records out like crazy back then, man. It almost makes you like years, there was there were there could be money made there yeah even in the 90s like 311 was putting out a record every year pretty much it's it's that's a lot of work that's all it is a lot of work but you could just tell how much things have changed right mm-hmm. in that in that regard that anyway so yeah the great 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 pull i love Fleetwood Mac this is a
3: great one and you know i didn't even real. i knew Fleetwood Mac's iconic rock band legendary one of the most important this track in particular and many songs but i didn't know that this is often cited as one of the greatest albums of all time and I think last year, Rolling Stone ranked it, ranked um, Rumors number seven out of the top 500 albums of all time, which is pretty, pretty crazy. The reason why this song is so memorable for me is because mom and dad played it a lot growing up in our house. This, this album, Fleetwood Mac specifically, and a couple other bands were really the soundtrack to the Moriarty household in the mid to late seventies and into the early to mid eighties. And mom and dad, the interesting thing about this was mom had her music that I found out very early on, very specific taste of music, right? She would, and she would play music out loud. Mom was a stay at home mom until I was 16 years old. So this was kind of the thing, you know, they had the beautiful pioneer record player in the living room. So to set the scene, this was the room where we weren't really allowed unless there was company. White furniture, white couch, white love seat, glass coffee table, glass end tables, and like, mom's sort of the decorations that were maybe a little more expensive, the Fabergé egg, the little marble tchotchkes, whatever, that was in the room. We weren't really allowed in there unless we were listening to music. And then in that case, we would get like the Frosty the Snowman soundtrack. And we had the giant headphones that we would plug it into the stereo. We would lay in there and listen and look at, the, look at the record sleeve or whatever. But she would listen to music while she was cleaning, while she was cooking, while she was preparing for guests to come over for the holidays. And so she would have things on mom's rotation would be like Christopher Cross, the Bee Gees, Fuck yeah. Fuck the yeah. Beatles, right? All that kind of stuff. And if dad was listening to music in the house, let's say he was listening to music down the basement, or maybe he was even listening to music on the stereo while he was helping mom get food ready or whatever. He would be, the things in his rotation that I remember the most would be like Sabbath, Zeppelin, maybe Frank Zappa, right? But this album, Fleetwood Mac specifically, this album even more specifically, and this track were like a common bond for them. This was like their combo favorite. They both love Fleetwood Mac. And I, both, I remember them sort of digging it, like singing it together while they were going about their business. And it really, I feel like it's crazy because if you date this song to when it came out, when the record came out, I could have been as early as three years old, all the way up until maybe seven. So, And it could have been that entire time because I think they tended to listen to the same music year after year. Like they just had their old standbys, their old go-tos and their favorites. And this was the major one. Like I could definitely see in my mind's eye, like mom with the Windex and the Lemon Pledge, cleaning the house, cleaning the dining room that was across from the living room and dancing around. And the same thing with dad. Like he really enjoyed this album too. Even down to like the specific, you guys could go look at the album art, like the illustration on the cover. Very, very iconic, very, very nostalgic memory for me. And even more, so, like, there were other songs in their Fleetwood Mac rotation. We think of iconic songs. Don't Stop. Go Your Own Way was another huge one. Um, you Make Loving Fun, whatever. And I, I have old favorites for Fleetwood Mac. Like, I love Gypsy. I love Everywhere. Um, Sarah. I love the uh, specific tracks that are, like, some among some of my favorite songs. But Dreams is the one that pops into my head because that's the one I remember that maybe was even on, like, a song after song rotation. Like, I'll oh, play that again. Like, they would play it two or three times in a row. They really loved it. So that was uh, the number one thing. And I was thinking, too, like, wow, Colin wasn't even alive for this. So I wonder if it's interesting for him to hear what the house sounded like before he was born. Because by 1984, they were probably, I don't know what would have been on the
2: rotation by then.
3: But it probably wouldn't even have been vinyl. Mom and dad were point. listening
2: to Evo. 19- <laughs> I, no, I wish. <laughs>
3: Synth wave.
2: Yeah, oh, that's just me now. You know, just getting fucking exactly. Weird. I, yeah, I get so go. amped up when Devo comes on. Oh my god! <laughs> especially the song. Especially the song. That's good. I love that song. That song. Oh, I don't think I game. know it. So oh, that's I have pre, to check that's that. Pre-Whip it. I think. Yeah, you like that one.
3: That's oh, cool. pre. Okay. Yeah. So you dating back with that one?
2: Yeah, Whip it. I think is eighty two or eighty three. I want to say. Aunt this Aunt is was the rate. was the Devo one in the house. I remember her rocking Devo. Yeah, they're great. All right, Dave, the, uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about is actually the song that I most recently kind of added to my repertoire, but had known about for a really long time. And I thought that that was interesting. So in college, I became aware of a band called Head Automatica. I don't know if you've ever heard of them or know them. No, they existed for a brief time. And they're interesting because um, I think the guy's name is Daryl Palumbo. He he is the singer of Glassjaw, which is a famous Long Island hardcore band. And he started this more alt-rock band called Head Automatica, and they put out two records. And I became aware of them because in in um, student, the student center at, at Northeastern, there used to be like this massive table of like brochures and stuff, and people that used to be on street teams, I don't even know if that's a thing anymore, but people that used to be on sh- what were called street teams for bands and acts and stuff, record labels, where they would go hand things out, hand free albums out, hand posters out, like kind of more boutique-ish shit to try to get your attention, not just whatever a, a, a monochrome flyer or whatever and so i i we had a, a venue at northeastern where people used to come play called after hours and so they there was like people that used to go and walk through the student center to go there and so they had all this street team shit there anyway i used to go and steal these like not steal take these like 12 inch really nice pictures that they used to put of the album art and they just constantly did this and i did this for like all sorts of different records and I became aware of Head Automatica through one of those. Their first album was called Decadence. And I had one of those and I hung it on my wall and I never even listened to it, you know, until later in in college. And I really liked it. And I hadn't really thought about them very much because bands find a way to stay together. But Head Automatica didn't. It wasn't, you know, this guy's main project. I actually have seen Glassjaw since Head Automatica broke up. So, you know, obviously Glassjaw is still moving on, but Micah is into them and, she had brought this song to my attention that I was like, oh my God, I love this. I hadn't heard this song. It's just what it was one of those things where I was like, I forgot this song existed. And it was so, it was so fun. It's a game. It's a game. It's a song from their second and last album, propaganda called um, platypus. And when I, I was like, oh, this is a great song. And I thought it was an interesting connection because sometimes songs enter your repertoire or your head in some specific way, and then they become meaningful later, or you only understand what the song is saying. A certain time, we were talking recently just uh, for fun about the song Pina Colada and how deep that song actually is and how it's about like cheating on your spouse and stuff like that. And yeah, it's awesome. It's an awesome song. And and, right. And I've heard that song a million times that I never thought about. So it was cool to hear this song. We were, I think, going on a road trip or whatever. Actually, no. Yeah, we were road tripping to, um, to go see Dustin for the show we all met at in Pittsburgh or outside of Pittsburgh. And so I was like, oh, this song's cool. And then I so it kept coming up on my playlist. My playlist is trended algorithmically, I think, to just play the things that are more newly added more often. That makes sense. Oh, that's so, the song, cool. so as I'm working out, the song keeps coming up and then I start listening to it and I realized that it kind of encapsulated my experience in if I'm interpreting the way I'm interpreting, it. I should be clear that I don't know if any of these songs are interpreted right or not. I don't like reading about song interpretations usually because it ruins how i interpret them
3: i think that's art
2: yeah sure yeah and yeah. like genius.com which is an awesome website really gets into like what songs mean and and the individual lines it's especially good for rap if you don't know the nomenclature oh, of some songs. Cool. But, but generally speaking i don't i try not to research that stuff so who knows if i'm yeah. interpreting it right um but I, I started listening to this song and people might remember i mean 2019 into 2020 was like the pretty dark period of my life i, I would say 2009 all of 2019 into the first four or five months of 2020 was really bad for me personally. I remember. And um I heard this song and it was actually the back end of the song that made me listen to it first and then as I cuz there's like this refrain at the end in which he says I'm telling you I'm glad I'm alive and there's no way I'm touching ground again um which is the chorus but the the, the at the refrain he says I've been shot in the back by my fears over and over and over again. But the way I interpret the verses is about a person who gets out of something really toxic and unhealthy and feels the great relief of knowing that it was up to me to extricate myself from these situations or from this situation and to not go back to that situation to acknowledge where one has been and where one goes. And there's this amazing line in the second verse. This is an amazing writing to me. He says, I saw a blind man shackled up by his hands and feet, escaping when his, hate, his face hit the concrete. And the same way you play vicious, well, that's the same way you agree. Endearing and endearing empathy. It's an amazing line that if Good I'm shit. interpreting it right, is about like a trying to, is like almost blacking out to pain and realizing that certain people or situations are putting you in those situations where the only way to get out of it is to pretend it doesn't exist or to put, go into a shell or whatever the case might be Um, and then you find yourself kind of making excuses for those situations I think that this song says a lot with a few words now I don't know if I'm interpreting him right at all but it's certainly what it meant to me and I thought it was I thought it was interesting an interesting song to start with because I have known about this song for so long hadn't heard it in years never even thought about head automatica since I left northeastern probably and then it pops back up then i hear it then i'm like oh this song that i've heard and known all along is actually an interesting thing that was set into motion a long time ago i mean that's what i think is so funny about songs just about interpretations of songs is that they're they're set into play and set into motion at 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 a certain time and then they just go along the timeline until they intercept you and then it's what they mean to you at that place in time that matters right so i really highly recommend this song uh by head automatica called platypus and um I'm telling you, I'm glad I'm alive, and there's no way I'm touching ground again. As he says, and and I can relate. So, yeah, that's my Super first song. Cool,
3: man. I think you're going to put this one on a lot of
2: people's radar. This isn't a common song. No, at least, not at all. I, I sent you might Did you? Were you able it, to listen to any of these songs? So I did send you a list. Oh, no, you I, sent me the playlist. Yeah. I wasn't able to you listen. Should, to yeah, you yet. should. That's one. That's the one song I think you you might be interested in the sound. It's not like Glassjaw where it's hardcore. It's it's, dip. it's just all rock. It's very, very listenable. And it's a really good and song. And you've oh. always
3: been drawn to very poetic, well-written lyrics. You've always been an appreciator of that, I feel like, um, which, is, which is cool. really speaks to your tastes. Yeah, I'm going to listen to your entire playlist when I work tonight, actually, especially the ones that I haven't heard yet. I, I, I do remember one more on your list, but I tried not even to look. I was like, I don't know if I want to spoil it. All right, Jake, so you ready for number two? Yeah, what's the next one for you? All right, so we're jumping over now to to my best recollection, Kyle. Nine-year-old or maybe possibly 10-year-old Dagan. So we're talking about Summer of 83 or Summer of 84. I was excited to talk to you about this because I know you're a great lover of 80s music. This is Duran Duran's The Reflex. Oh, This one popped into my head maybe first. This is how much this song meant to me. What a song. Now, this track... For those of you who may not know, off their 1983 album Seven and the Ragged Tiger, Mm -hmm. which I thought had more iconic songs on it, but songs like Rio and Hungry Like the Wolf came before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Rio's on Rio
2: and Hungry on the Wolf is on Rio. I love that song. I love the album. I love the album art. Oh, yeah. The album arts. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff on there. Um, It's iconic. Yeah. That
3: might be the iconic Duran Duran album, but we're going a year, I think a year later, because Rio, I believe, was 82, and then songs that I really love, like Wild Boys, came later, like in 84, I believe. But Duran Duran, I want to talk about a little bit, but this is the first song, Kyle, that I remember getting really purely obsessed with, which is an interesting memory, because I was already 9 or 10, but I can't think of a song... Before that, that I was so transfixed by, it's such, a, it's such a vivid memory for me. I would wait longingly for this song to play on the radio in the summer of 83 or 84. I forget which one. And I was either 9 or 10, as I said. And it was that tender age. Here's why. It was probably the last time in my life where I was really glued to the radio in order to hear something I liked. Because by the time I was 9 or 10 at the time, it was just before in a very 80s sense that I would be of the age to get my first boombox, nice boombox with the dual cassette or the nice stereo so I could then go out and purchase my own music on vinyl or cassette and listen to what I want and when I want. This was right before that. And there was a very clear line of demarcation. This is probably like a year or maybe a year and a half before I got my first boombox, which was like this kind of fancy-ish, Boombox with detachable speakers that I thought was so cool, but the speakers could only go like three feet on each side. But I felt like it was almost like a boombox, but it felt like a little like a stereo. So I felt like hot shit. But the first radios that we probably got at that age, my generation Gen Xers, were probably our clock radios, right? That Mm. was probably the first thing, which usually weren't fancy enough to have a cassette deck. They were just like you would tune the radio, they would be pretty poorly. You know the even the radio reception wasn't wasn't that great on them, but I specifically remember this song, like waiting for it to come on the radio and finding it so catchy and cool, and you know it would be like the music and the soundtrack to car rides back and forth to little League or journeying out to Grandma's for Sunday dinner and I remember this is a very specific memory that I have. And Dana may remember this too, because she might have been there with me. I'm sure. I'm sure guys like John and my friend Tommy were there with me. We would take a dip in our pools in the summertime, and then we would lay out on our towels on the driveway, on the hot driveway, and just bake in the sun. And I didn't have my own boombox, but what I did have was Dad's like crappy old '70s boombox that he kept in the garage to listen to music when he was doing his woodworking and stuff. And it was like really crusty. But it did have a tape deck and it did have a decent tuner so I could get W uh whatever it was, uh, W P L J or W L oh, I what was it, WBL, WBLI, the the top 40 stations. And the radio was so crusty, it was covered in sawdust, it was old. But I would just have that radio in the driveway while we were laying in the sun, getting, you know, trying to warm back up to go for another dip in the pool. And when the reflex would come on, I would get so excited. Like that was the sole reason for tuning that, having that radio in the driveway. I wait. I would wait for that song. And I think, in all fairness, that song went to the top of the charts and it was really popular. So it would be the type of thing. You know, radio was so important in the '80s, man. Like if a song was popular and they wanted people to tune in, they wanted ears, right? They wanted their listeners, their listenership. They would play that song every six songs. So you could assume that that song was going to be on every hour, every hour and a half while it was at the height of its popularity. And I would just be there. I was so down for this song. Like it was the first song that I was like, I got to hear that song. And it's it's interesting that mom and dad didn't even like buy it for us on vinyl or cassette or something just to play on their stereo because... It was a type of thing where it would have been so cool. Like, that would have been an amazing Christmas present, but I don't even they would think they were thinking like that. They were just thinking like, they don't have their own source of listening to music yet, so I'm not going to buy them their own cassettes or their own albums because it's not time yet. Then the boombox era probably kicked in with the whole breakdancing thing. That's what made it large, right? You had Beach Street and all that kind of stuff, and then the movies came out, and then sort of... The, breakdancing culture crossed into the suburbs and then the boot box thing got on our you know the the average suburban kids radar and then it took off from there and then buying our own music going to Sam Goody going to the mall to get that that cassette I remember my first cassette was a Shaka Khan cassette but that again that would come like probably in 84 and 85 so this was kind of a really specific time period where the radio was so important and you know of course I listened to all these songs I was listening to the Reflex and some other Duran Duran joints yesterday and they're so like they are an 80s band that for me have really withstood the test of time i think about them almost in the same breath as like a prince genesis madonna like their music really it, it, it it's, it's kind of proof positive that it was good music it wasn't just good 80s music but for me like a lot of that stuff duran duran was just a really good band they made really they made proper tunes, you know, oh, yeah. really catchy rules, stuff. Too. I love And uh, it was even hard to pick a Duran Duran song because I like, a, I like a lot of theirs, but this was the iconic one for me. That was, and you know what? I will say a lot of Duran Duran songs hold up better than this. "The Reflex isn't a bad song, but it has a very dancey feel to it. That seems very trendy where a lot of other Duran Duran joints just seem a little more infinitely better you know they seem infinitely better they seem to have a more eternal quality than a very specific 1983 sound but i could see why i dug it it starts off with like the female instrumental doing their little bebop thing and then here comes simon with his vocals i th- i think he was such a good singer he had such a distinctive voice so, and I'm happy to talk about Duran Duran because they were important to me as a kid, man. They were really like, even with Dana with her Tiger Beat magazines and here's John Taylor on the cover, Heartthrob. Like, I couldn't right. get mad at that. I couldn't even tease her for that because I was down for Duran Duran too. It was like something we could all agree on.
2: <laughs> yeah, Duran Duran I think is, is timeless new wave and 80s rock and synth. It's just, they're good and they, they went through a few phases. They, they released that record in 1993. That's like a totally iconic record oh, I read record about too. that, but
3: I don't know if I heard it.
2: Where they sound totally different, and I I love that record. That's where um, uh, there are a few. Hold on, I I actually want to look this up in real time here because there are a few songs on that record that are that are amazing. What is oh, Ordinary yeah, Come on World Come from. on Dawn and in Ordinary World are both on that. Record. That's on that album. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. a great song yeah, and a and great yeah. music video as well. That's like a that's the self titled record. Yeah, so I, I recommend that album too. But that's a good. God, that was '93. Yeah.
3: Holy shit!
2: Like where they yeah kinda, they they
3: stuck around a while.
2: Yeah, they did, and I I think they. To your point, I think, because I, I liked Duran Duran throughout that entire period, really, but they do, they do hone in on the sound of the time, and Definitely. it actually gives them a really, really eclectic discography, in my
0: opinion. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie.
2: All right. The second song I wanted to bring up was uh, is a bad religion song called Epiphany. Now, I'm not a huge fan of bad religion at all. They're they've been around for 40 years, I think. Punk rock band, iconic punk rock band. But back when I used to use. Well, now I use Spotify, of course, but back when you used to use kind of more online radio stuff like Pandora, I used to get all of these different. Recommendations you'd go to a certain radio, right? So it'd be like, you know, sublime radio or whatever. And then you get all the bands that sound like sublime and so on. Maybe you get a sublime song every once in a while. And so on one of those various channels, this this song by Bad Religion came up called Epiphany. And I encountered the song. I remember I was at IGN. I still have the list because I used to keep these like really neat lists of all the songs that I was like discovering so I can one day maybe buy them or something like that. This was before you had like a streaming where you could stream on demand you might be able to find these songs on youtube or whatever but this was before spotify really changed the game so this was one of probably hundreds of songs that i encountered during this time where i was like holy shit this is a great song and it never made me want to really go and investigate bad religion further and i don't know why that is but nonetheless the song epiphany highly recommended and what i recommend about it 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 comes from the, the album the process of belief which is from 2002 and the song is about in my opinion and and again the song is about how there is nothing It's about oblivion i guess about death and and understanding i think in a deep way at least inside some of us and certainly inside of me this it's not a hopelessness or a despair it's like this acceptance that there's there's nothing to it and He says in the beginning, a new age of reason, brain treason to trick the mind. What good is searching if nothing's there to find? And I really like this idea of banging your head against the wall to find some meaning or discovery and never coming and finding it at the end. He says, come forth, bear witness, see the profit from your loss, beg for forgiveness only after you tally the cost. We arrive at this place of no return, my sisters, only to discover that our values ran us aground of the shore in the sea of what we could be. So it seems to me that he's saying, spend your time wisely, be in the present. And these philosophical ideas that are fun to pine away about are unanswerable and might even have disappointing or dark answers if you even found what it meant at all. And I remember very well discovering the song and it remaining in my regular playlist to this day. Like whenever it comes up, I'm like, oh, you know, so you skip songs sometimes when they come up on this mega playlist I have this gargantuan playlist and this is one of those songs I just don't skip and it's always really spoken to me and for some reason religion and philosophy have a very inherently nostalgic feel for me because I've gone through so many trials and tribulations in my life discovering and undiscovering and rediscovering and finding new a- angles and avenues of things in my own faith or lack thereof and it was a relevant part of our upbringing and also a relevant part of my my adulthood is I kind of tried to discover and almost wanted to discover. And I think that the interesting thing about epiphany is this notion of wanting to find of, of seeking it because you feel like the answer is there, but I don't think it really is. He says, if it's real for me, do I have to prove it to you? Why do revelations fade to cold blue untruths? It's also relative subservient and total to one's perspective. It's true. In my opinion, in my in my experience. So in a deep way, this reminds me of those days where I kind of started to grapple with as an adult, my lack of faith and found some song that I felt like spoke to it, not in a disrespectful way. Bad religion I know has often been looked at in that, that punk rock, skate rock era that it came from and being highly, unorthodox anti-establishment anti-religion all of those kinds of things it's in the name i mean that's how i've always interpreted it but i don't mean it that way and i don't think it's meant that way either i highly I recommend, think so either i highly recommend this song
3: this is a bad religion song that i don't know that i don't know i know so i'm gonna i'm, I'm excited to go listen to it they're, they're so interesting because they they take me back to being 13 once you know once you start skateboarding 1987 it was for me once I jumped on that skateboard and the music just came with it, especially the older kids that sort of introduced me or kind of brought me along with skateboarding Bad Religion, Dead Kennedys, Fugazi, Black Flag, Sex Pistols, the Ramones, all of that stuff. So it was always, even though I never really got into skate rock or punk rock, um, I, it was always a soundtrack for me in the older kids' cars and the backgrounds and skate videos. So it always really took a a, a place of prominence even though I didn't necessarily listen to it but I appreciate it now retroactively so much and Helene when I met Helene she had a Bad Religion bumper sticker like she was really into this type of music as a as a young kid too so this isn't one I'm interested in in listening to and I Bad Religion sort of ascended to the top for me later on in being introduced to them they have a very specific sound and I think they have often talked about the fact that uh, you know they have things to say about religion. I mean, the band was kind of formed off of that, but that it wasn't necessarily this anti-religious thing. It was just sort of like their own their own take on religion and the way that they saw the world. Which I always found very... Really, I can't speak to it too intellectually because I don't know them that well. But I always was fascinated with that, and apparently very articulate in speaking about it too. Like the, they would really try to make a case for themselves and. Present it intelligently and not afraid to step up to the plate and say this is what we meant by this, and also to have that substance behind the music. I think that's what makes it sort of timeless in a way. You know that they had that and their very own personal sound, but also their very own personal take on things, religion, politics, and so forth. Sure. So that's a good one. See, I like Thank that you. one. Thank you. So what's number three for you? So this is one that kind of cracked me up, and I was interested in uh, in sharing this one with you guys. So we're gonna we're gonna hop. To a whole different genre. Going to hop over to rap music, hip hop. Nice. With Public Enemy and 15-year-old Dagan. Now, this is the track, call Black Steel in the Hour of Chaos from the album. 1988 album. I didn't realize it was that late. It takes a nation of millions to hold us back. Legendary album. My introduction to Public Enemy was actually this album. And it's interesting, man. Like, I think about this album. I think about the tracks on this album, specifically the one I'm going to talk about right now. And it was kind of my intro to another form of music and expression coming out of the rock that I grew up in the background of my house, coming out of Loving Top 40 as a kid, and even like earlier r and stepping into another realm with militant, angry, black music. Really And music with a message and music that was really saying something profound, and that I was always drawn to. And you know, now talk about 15-year-old Dagan, right? I'm 95 pounds soaking wet. I've been skateboarding for a year or so. I got the corniest gear, no color coordination, just as garish as possible, right? I got my paint-splattered Chuck Taylors and ridiculous shorts. And my bad boy club painter's cap with the bill flipped up, and just some kind of goofy Vision Streetwear shirt, and I'm rocking this Public Enemy album. Uh, on its face, it makes completely no sense. Why was I drawn to it? Why did I love it so much? Why did the the meaning behind the music mean so much to me? It's actually funny to think about those memories, and also to think about what our family, especially the older people in the family's perception must have be. been. Must have been I'm you know this little white kid from the suburbs. Let's be honest. But it always fascinated me and it always really struck a chord with me. And even though it's funny to think back, it, I'm no different today. Like That's just the person that I am. Like the Racial issues and racial injustice and all that kind of stuff really just ignites a fire in me. I, I, it just speaks to who I am. It just speaks to the very fabric woven in me. I don't know what it is. I can't even articulate it. We've talked about it on the show before. But this was really... Chuck D and Flavor Flav and Terminator X and this album really was my introduction to that if I think about it. Now there were other things going on in rap music with KRS-One and Boogie Down Productions and some other entities that were instrumental in this whole movement of of rap music that later came on and sort of evolved to the West Coast stuff that we would know with NWA and the DOC and Dr. Dre and everything like that. But this was really a very East Coast based sort of form of hip hop that was a little more militant, a little more angry. Public enemy is also from Long Island, which mm-hmm. which is always something that's very important for me to remember. And I just remember I have a very funny memory now. This was the summer of 88 because the Ju- the the album came out in June of 88. So I must have had this late in the summer. And I took a trip with grandma and grandpa and aunt Joni to visit our family in Nashua, New Hampshire. So grandma's cousin Anna, who we just called cousin Anna, lived in Nashua and they would the family would go up to the White Mountains and and visit them and they lived in a very rural pocket, cousin Anna and her husband Gene. It was really beautiful, picturesque, beautiful ponds and lakes and nice fishing. Aunt Joni really enjoyed that aspect of it. And then you had well, nearby to Nashua, you had all the shopping outlets. So all the stores had their outlets, their discount outlets, giant shopping outlet malls. And so we would visit for, I went up there with grandma and grandpa and Aunt Joni for a week. And this was what I was playing. I had the cassette. I had already kind of moved on to buying my own music. I had my little boom box in my room and I was buying my cassette. And this was one of the cassettes I wore out, one of my early cassettes. And I brought it along with me on the trip and Aunt Joni humored me. And I would play this in the car with her. And she wasn't, although Aunt Joni was kind of my proxy to to urban New York because she's the one who used to bring me to Met Games. She's the one who her longtime boyfriend lived in Astoria or Jackson Heights in Queens. So she would bring me into, into there and I got a taste of what the city felt like. Now, Grandpa also had a shop. He had his hair salon in New York and he brought me into Manhattan. But Aunt Joni was a big part of that, introducing me to urban New York as well. And although she, she was really into disco when she was young, but she didn't really like rap music, but she humored me. She let me play this. And it wasn't just rap. I mean, this is angry white, you know, angry black music. And I remember her just listening to it, maybe chuckling and letting me, letting me play it in the car, and I would bump it with the windows down. And it was such a great memory and such a goofy – I must have looked so goofy, but it, really the music meant something to me. And let me just do a little karaoke here for you, Kyle. Please. The lyrics, this is how Black Steel in the Hour of Chaos starts. Now, to paint a picture, for those of you who don't know what the song is, the whole song basically tells the story about Chuck D being in prison, and he's incarcerated by this contingent of white racists, including the, the, the guards and the warden and everything. And it's the plan, the, the, the music, the story tells the plan of how they're violently going to break him out of jail. That's what this whole song's about starts i got a letter from the government the other day i opened and read it it said they were suckers they wanted me for their army or whatever picture me giving a damn i said never right (laughs) this is 15 year old dagan bumping this now also let me set the scene for you too i already had i was really into public enemy they were just they were right up there with de la soul which is the exact extreme opposite of the spectrum in rap music and hip-hop music right but I already had the public enemy t-shirt. I had a massive public enemy logo that I drew and painted on the outside of my bedroom door. And it's also important to remember back then, we really thought that logo was, a, was supposed to be a cop in a gun site. Now, it later turned out that that wasn't the thing. It was a, it's actually supposed to be a B-boy in the gun site. So it means the opposite thing. Like that's, that's a black man supposedly in the sights of a guns cop. Uh, a cop's gun but we thought the opposite right right and i was down for that and i remember dad being like come on man like really but i still wore it to school i still had that on my bedroom door huge you know as, as big as the door and it's such a funny memory for me because it was one of my earliest introductions that kindled my passion for rap music and then also like really kindled my the spirit of taking ex- exception to to basically to racism and how much that became a part of me, you know, how much that became a part of my life. And I think maybe it tied in with some earlier stuff that we learned in school with the Civil War and the Underground Railroad and figures like Martin Luther King later on and figures like Harriet Tubman and black heroes and all that kind of stuff. But I think this was the next step forward. Like this was this was the next iteration for me and made it feel tangible and real because it was contemporary. And how much. That stuff always meant to me, not just the entertainment value in the music, which I always loved, and the writing, which I always loved, but just what was behind the music. And uh even though it's a it's kind of a comedic memory and poor Aunt Joni, right? And poor grandma and grandpa, I think that w- why I got away with that was we took two cars up to New Hampshire from Long Island. So I was just with Aunt Joni, so we could kind of have fun and do that. But if I was with grandma and grandpa, I wouldn't be able to play that, yeah, of course that, that of tape course. in the car, you know. So that was a very specific late 80s you know mid teens early hip hop early rap music memory for me and kind of kind of cool that Chuck D is still around he's still relevant still very articulate still doing great music same with Flava and uh you know I you know Public Enemy very important very important band for me
2: so the third song I wanted to bring up yep. for my list here is A song by a man called Washed Out, Ernest Green Jr. is his Mm. real name, but his he goes by Washed Out, and it's a song that I really love called "Feel It All Around." Now, people, the thing I was looking up was when I discovered this, I wanted to make sure I had the right date, and I do. This is the theme song to the show Portlandia, which I love. I love that show. that show. That show is hysterical, and I had never seen it before. So in 2011, it was on, and I was in living in San Francisco with Greg and. I remember very clearly hearing this song. I was like at the kitchen table and I'm like, what is that song? It's an amazing song. And I I had thought at first, I'm like, that's a song that someone raps over. I want to know what song it was. And then I was was surprised to discover, no, it's an original song by this kind of synthy songwriter guy. And I fell in love with it. And there are two things about this song that bring me back to that time, San Francisco, Overcast and winter of 2011 into 2012. This is a, a memorable time for me because this is around when Vita came out and really getting a lot of head of steam as a professional, but uh, with Podcast Beyond and all of those things, IGN PlayStation, which I was leading at that point, but also because, and I I brought about this this topic in the past, is that when I broke up for a year with my girlfriend, who I ended up dating on in two different waves, I, I you want to say, the first time we, bro- we broke up in 2011, she broke up with me, and I had this real... Feeling of acceptance as I've described, going home on the bar to the train, you know, to the t or not the t. I'm not in Boston to the uh, to the Muni and and feeling this real acceptance of what is next. This excitement about the unknown and being out on your own. And this song came around that same time and ended up becoming part of that feeling for me. I think the song feels that way. I think the song feels freeing. It's it's heady, shoegazy in some way. Mm. and there's only really a couple lines in the song and it encapsulates what I was feeling at the time it says you feel it all around yourself you know it's yours and no one else you feel the thought of love again it's all right in spite of all the things you did we'll work it out that's it those are the lyrics and he says it like a few times and I just felt that in my own mind like uh, regardless of what he meant when he was writing and it felt to me I interpreted it as like it's it's almost like myself speaking to myself and understanding that things end and things begin to embrace the change and to embrace the unknown. And that's very unlike me. And that 2011 and 2012 period is very memorable in my life because that was one that really was unorthodox and strange for me in the way I, I didn't do anything wrong or anything but just in the way i comported myself I, I was dating different girls and i was i was going out a lot and i was spending money and i was doing it, it was a very strange time but i this song still makes me feel even though that none of that added up to anything the song still brings me back and reminds me of that that freeing era and it reminds me of seeing portlandia for the first time and how hysterical i thought that show was and i had just gotten i had skin cancer as people might remember if you're with me a long long time ago i forget that yeah scars on my nose and i had them i had so my nose was all cut up and i was all bandaged up when i first saw it and i was fucking cracking up and you could feel the stitches like starting to tear themselves apart as i was laughing and i'm like i can't watch this right now i can't watch this right now and I, i remember that so well it was right before new year's and going from 2011 to 2012 so a very very memorable scenario for me represented by a song that i think is very accessible and i think first of all if you like portlandia or have seen it you're familiar with the song but if if not it's a really listenable chill wave type joint and will always remind me of san francisco will always remind me of that ign era and will always remind me of that single i've been single in my adult life in, in waves and that that specific era where things felt all right you know as he says we'll work it out like it felt that's so unlike colin you know i'll I'll never forget that i don't know what i was even thinking but but it happened so dig what's uh what's number four for you on your list
3: i i have to watch portlandia i've seen very little of that show you'd love that show that's a great one for me to watch that's something new i'm always thinking like what can i go back and watch that i missed having covered a lot of ground with knockback fortunately but that's a great one and also i was wondering if we would get some media in there like would we, would we get a theme song in there because i don't have one so that's kind of cool
2: yeah poor is good and just total non-sequitur but i've been watching yeah. your your favorite or one of your favorites uh trailer park boys as i'm, I'm oh. now in the i'm now in the fifth season and it's just so funny
3: so. i binged the hell out of that show last T- year I,
2: I tell you that the one with, i saw the episode with conky the doll <laughs> and i was like dying i was dying i was like absolutely <laughs> dying i couldn't even believe it
3: it's so good like i feel like it, there's not enough appreciation we'll we'll get to the show yeah
2: more. definitely we'll, we'll go there
3: there's a lot to cover a lot of ground to cover
2: Dig, song four for you
3: all right so let's skip ahead only a year or so to 16 year old dagan this is definitely a band i've spoken or a group a music musical group that i've spoken to in the past but i had to put it in here because this memory is so profound for me and that's the supreme's 1967 song called Reflections. If I remember correctly, I think they do use this song as a theme song, actually, interestingly enough, for that show China Beach, which I've never seen. But I've only ever heard that because I love this album so much. And I I love this specific track so much. Now, I first heard this, to my best recollection, it was 89 or 90. And I got it, I first heard it off of a a sort of um, an album That was a compilation of various Supremes tracks over the years, which here's the story behind that. Now, Aunt Joni, our Aunt Joni, who's still one of my great friends in life, our mom's younger sister, of course, she in the column was a little kid, but in the late 80s to maybe it was 1990. I should have asked her because I just saw her two days ago. But she, Aunt Joni, decided that she was going to move from Long Island to Hawaii. And she just wanted a change of scenery. She wanted I think she had already been there for vacation with grandma and grandpa. She kind of fell in love with it. And she wanted to live somewhere new and go on an adventure and try something. So she put this big plan together to move from Long Island to Hawaii. And it was a big thing. It was a big thing in our family. I remember seeing her off at the airport. And it was an emotional thing, but we were also excited and happy for her. I guess in the back of our heads too, we thought like, this is, proof positive that we're definitely going to visit Hawaii. So this is kind of awesome. Right. And she stayed for a couple of few years. She didn't stay long. She ended up coming back. But what happened with me is I was very close to Aunt Joni and she had her prized stereo. It was either a Pioneer or a Kenwood, but this was like a badass stereo, complete stereo, complete with like glass cabinet, big, beautiful speakers, a graphic equalizer turntable dual cassette like this was a monster right it was beautiful and of course i had this small little boombox with the detachable speakers i thought that was badass but now this was going to replace that and she was like yeah i'm going to give this to you cuz i can't take it i'm not going to take it to hawaii it's too much of a it's too much of a burden so she gave me her her stereo which i was so excited about and i remember having a place of honor in my bedroom in brookhaven and That's where I would bump all my albums. I was early into hip-hop. I was buying hip-hop on vinyl at that time. and I had all my cassettes. But the icing on the cake was that she accidentally left this cassette in the stereo in one of the tape decks, and it was this Supremes compilation. And I really, really wasn't familiar with the genre of music. I wasn't familiar with the Supremes necessarily. I wasn't familiar with Diana Ross or Motown. I think the most we got was like, you know, listening to the four tops because it was so popular or cool. And the gang was on the top 40 charts or whatever growing up. But this was a really distinctive moment in my life because I realized that not only did I enjoy the Supremes proper and, you know, looking at the liner notes and the cassette and everything like that, like falling a little bit in love with like 19 year old Diana Ross, which I had a little bit of a crush on. Sure. Sure. At that time, as a 16 year old, but no doubt, I think what what it did Kyle, was it turned my ear to music with female vocalists. It was the first time I was like, "Oh, this is a this is a thing," you know. Like it speaks to me a little more, or it spoke to me a little more when a, when a female was singing. Whether it's that sort of attraction being a you know a straight male, I don't know, but it's something that really resonated and sort of brought me around to being attracted to music with female vocals. And I remember shortly thereafter is when I found the Sundays and Sonic youth and MC light and the breeders and heart, you know, so all the, and I remember like going out and buying a heart album on vinyl. I think John did too. Like it was just something that really art rocks, dude. Oh, it's heart. so good. Oh, so some of my favorite music still is like classic heart, but realizing like, Oh, I really like this almost like finding hip hop, a similar thing. It's like, I really like, I really enjoy listening to music with female vocals. I find it even a notch above everything else. And I think it really started with the Supremes, which is really interesting in that it was just this little twist of fate because An Joni accidentally left the Supremes album in her in her stereo cabinet. And this song in particular, I choose Reflections. There's so many I l lo- so many Supreme songs that I love, slash Diana Ross songs, because of course they had their problems and Diana Ross wasn't always involved and she went off on her own as well to do solo stuff. But I love Love Child, Up the Ladder to the Roof, Love Hangover. There's a lot of songs that are really among my favorite, but Reflections was special to me because I think it sounded a little psychedelic. There's there's a little psychedelic late 1960s things going on that was very flavor of the month, but I find it very distinctive, especially for a Supreme song. And I also, I think, responded to the melancholy of the song. It's a strange beast, this one, because it's relatively upbeat, actually. But there's a little bit of a bittersweet quality quality to it. It's catchy, but I also like that it's emotional and a little raw. The lyrics that she's singing about this unrequited love or this breakup or being wronged romantically. It's soulful. And I think it really was the track that turned me on to music that felt that resonated on a soulful level, on an emotional level, even if it was kind of fun to listen to and catchy and upbeat. And it had that psychedelic thing that almost even sounded like a video game. I think I just took that whole thing and just blended it into like, I I really enjoy this sound. And uh, yeah, it's a great memory. And I do wonder, like, had that cassette not been in that stereo, who knows? You know how would how would it, the music I really have come to love, including the Supremes, but not limited to the Supremes. I love female vocals. I love bands with female vocals, and also you said it before, Kyle, just a couple of minutes ago. It has that shoegazy quality to it, and maybe the first song that really I could I could remember that you could apply that label to. It has a real shoegazy ethereal sound to it that I I just fell in love with. Yeah, that's good and stuff. I still love my musical tastes. Really haven't changed so. Yeah, number four, The Supremes, Diana Ross. Good choice. Is Diana Ross, did Diana Ross pass? I don't know. I have we'll, to look
2: that up. I'm gonna look for you.
3: I don't Diana, think she has.
2: I don't think so either. But uh, but you nope, wonder what super seventy seven like years that. old. She's alive and well. Seventy seven.
3: Oh, that's okay. I thought she was even older than that. Unbelievable. But but yeah, man, this was a a really really special one for me, and I wish I still had that cassette because. It meant so much. Maybe the one, the the tactile bit of music from my past that meant that means the most. You know that that one cassette just changed so much. It just it was such a taste maker
2: for me, which is crazy. I love that you brought up Heart too because I just have a soft spot for them. I think that's a They're great band. So out. I was so glad I got to see them, which was cool when I lived in California years ago. So and jealous. Nancy Wilson, I I is just one of my crushes, like the guitarist. Oh my god. Like she's incredible. Back oh, when she's... you watch those videos, I mean, she's an old woman now. No, no offense, to her, but, but even if you watch her ten or fifteen years ago, I'm like, oh my god, this woman is like, it's so hot. Like she's a she's this beautiful, beautiful woman who's thrashing a guitar. Right? It's so something. Talented. Yeah, it's something about that. Like there, that's hot in its own way. Like I think there's hot musicianship is hot in its different ways when people play instruments, both men and women. Like it's, I think it's sexy to people. And when you have a woman playing a guitar, then it becomes hot in different ways. Like, absolutely ob- and then yeah, and she's hot in a specific way so um love heart great band song four for me is everybody wants to rule the world by tears for fears now oh. tears for fears is one of my very favorite bands and songs from the big chair their 1985 record is one of my very favorite albums and you really can't go wrong on that record. Actually, when Ramon was here a month or two ago and we were hanging out, he's like, "Let's put on songs from The Big Chair." And I'm like, "All right." You know, and there's just such wonderful songs starting out with "Shout," of course, and there's oh "Head Over God, Heels" I- on there. But this particular song, everybody wants to rule the world, reminds me of a time and place in my life, specifically the fall of 2006 into the spring of 2007. That was my last year at Northeastern as a senior, and I had a really bad breakup with my girlfriend at the time. Mm. And she like left me for some other dude and it was just, it was like this this really hairy situation that like in thinking back I'm like man that was really unfortunate <laughs> what was going on with you what were you thinking but that was where I was and I always retreated into music and I always liked Tears for Fears but I was getting really into them in college and kept listening to their records and Everybody Wants to Rule the World was a song that spoke to me at a very specific time and I don't again it's one of those things where I don't know what their intention was but it starts out with a welcome to your life there's no turning back. I lo- I love that that line and it's true. It kind of made me feel strong at a time where I needed the strength to confront certain things and the chorus is, you know, help me make the most of freedom and of pleasure nothing ever lasts forever. Everybody wants to rule the world. It's a great it's a great line and I remember watching the video and being kind of confused by it and just letting it wash over me and it, kept, it kind of became my anthem during that last uh, semester or so. And while I don't know what other people might take away from it, it really did provide needed strength and clarity at a time where I, I needed it as a young person the most. And it's one of those experiences I, I try to remind people, a lot of people write in, not a lot of people, but I talk to a, a ton of people on Patreon that write in about all sorts of random things. We have private conversations and a lot of people talk about breakups and marriages ending and all of those kinds of things. And can't speak so much of the marriage thing, but when, I, when I'm speaking to a younger person that's breaking up with someone, I think back to these experiences and I'm like, man, there's so much ahead of you that you'll need something like a song to remind you of that time because you won't even really remember living it. That's how crazy it is and how much that pain is encapsulated in that moment. And you can't even remember what you're upset about after that. So this song reminds me of that. And I, I had to give it a shout out because it's such a wonderful song and it's such a great record but it's also a song that again gave me clarity at a really weird cloudy time in my life and it's not easy to be 21 or 22 years old it's a pretty rough year that's a rough couple years and i would say 16 to 25 is pretty rough overall agreed and It's just one of those trials and tribulations. Now that I'm thirty seven, I look back on these things and I'm like, oh my God. I really am one of the adults where I don't care if I'm embarrassing myself. I don't care what people think. I'm like out there, (laughs) kids are playing out there like sweeping the, you know, the sidewalk and doing my thing. Like, you know, nothing to be embarrassed about yet things were so different when I was young. And the things that hurt me now, I should have been hurt by the situation. It was a horrible situation, but I went into a dark place that I don't think I would revisit until 2019 when I really was in that dark place. So maybe it bookends that as well. But I had to give a shout out to my beloved Tears for Fears with "Everybody Wants to Rule the World." That's awesome, dude.
3: Not surprised to see them pop up for you. What a great band! isn't it crazy how song could have this—you know—music could have this healing quality. It's kind of neat. And they were—they were one of the great 80s bands. I mean, I—I have to tell you, man. I think my favorite Tears track is "Sowing the Seeds of Love."
2: Oh, that's a great song.
3: Oh my God, I love that
2: song. That's from the I mean, that after might be room. my
3: top 50. That might be on my top 50 tracks all time. Like, that's how good that song is. So good. But that, I mean, like, you know, that's an iconic one. And then Shout, which you brought up too. I mean, those were, you can't have the, you can't have a proper 80s soundtrack without including Tears for Fears. Those guys, so talented. And they wrote all their own music too, right? Oh, yeah. Roland the Ardwell. They were really
2: like. Kurt Smith, those guys are craftsmen. Yeah. I mean, they're awesome, but. You know, time to eat all your words, swallow your pride, open your eyes, as they say in sowing the seeds of love. I love that bridge, where it's where Kurt Smith comes in. He doesn't sing the whole song, and then oh, he sings just, so and good, then he dude. just kind of comes in with his like his stuff. Like,
0: time to
3: eat all your words. Yeah, they had tunes, you twice. know, but the sub. That's what I love about lyrics. listening
2: to them too. Is like who's gonna sing and where's gonna you know where are they gonna come in and stuff there because it's really just those two guys. I mean, mostly, you know. So
3: yeah, and a very. They're weird because they have a very accessible quality to the music. It feels top 40, but there's a lot of substance behind it. It's sort of like coming out of the era of Pink Floyd, and Pink Floyd was still doing great music in the 80s, okay. but carrying on that tradition of having the tunes coupled with the substantive lyrics, the well-written, you know what I mean? Like that's a very, there's not a lot of bands that did that. I'm, I'm realizing more and more that Prince really did that more than i ever imagined because he was such a character and he was yeah, such he a, was you
2: know principal. he was
3: such a physical entity that i think as a kid you overlooked that but now i listen to like raspberry beret i'm like holy shit that song's fucking amazing on every level it's amazing it's a, it's another conversation but you know you realize that when you get older music t- starts to take on different
2: dimensions oh definitely i've, I've become realize much, it. the older i get the more of a prince fan i become
3: oh my god what i just genius. heard let's
2: go crazy i mean that's a that's a big song that's a song but One i was like that song is time. fucking awesome because i don't often listen to that song and i added it to my playlist because i'm like that's a jam i mean i so talked good. to i talked <laughs> to ali recently where there are certain bands where i, I wish i got to see them in that oh. moment I, actually it's funny because we we're talking about devo i was like damn i wish i saw devo in like 1982 i would have went off
3: great conversation but,
2: but prince i was talking about seeing him during the purple rain era with oh. you know, the revolution and so i would have shit
3: they can would you have been, imagine?
2: Can you imagine the stagecraft and like all like how amazing that show must have been. What a just, performer! Yeah.
3: But the music behind it was—he wasn't just that, you know. That's why we're still talking about that dude. Like, oh my god, he's a he's a next level genius, and we already realized that. But no, it's the next level. It's like
2: it almost feels like maybe it's just me becoming. con I've been into music my whole life. Like, I I really feel like it wasn't until Prince died that people really truly. No, understood. I think
3: that's absolutely true. I think you're right. And I think it's because
2: that. we were robbed of like probably another ten or twenty years. Of potential it's too right. bad it's why I, i'm glad people like elton john are going going away before they die right where it's like it's a farewell tour at least you know what you're getting into where billy joel tried to do the same thing i think he's still playing but i'm glad i got to see elton awesome before he, i got to see elton john i mean that was awesome before you know before that all went down i saw him at caesar's palace with like a thousand people i mean that's a small ass venue that's insane
3: that's elton john yeah, and you'll always be able to talk about that. You it was ex- I was you like, I couldn't believe
2: it. I was like, this is Elton John's playing like in this small ass venue every so day. So cool. If I were an Elton John fan, I'd be like, I'd live at Caesars Palace. <laughs> it, it was like $50 to see see him, you know? But- it
3: speaks to him too, the quality of, of a person he seems to be. That like, you don't need to, you know what I mean? How, many, how much money does he need? How many arenas does he need to fill? He's filthy rich many millions of times over. So it's like to do, just for the love of the music. And just because he's, that's what he loves to do. So cool. cool.
2: Well, let's go into that song. Number five, last but not least, unless it is. Yeah, this is a good
3: one for me. This is really one, even one of the, the songs, maybe even more so than my other four, that really takes me back to a very specific time and place. Very nostalgic. I could taste the air. I could smell what it smells like. I could, I could feel what it feels like. And 19-year-old Dagan, My last year on Long Island, actually. Souls of Mischief, 93 Till Infinity. Still one of my best, my favorite rap songs, hip-hop songs of all time. Off of their 1993 album, also titled 93 Till Infinity, their debut uh, studio album. Yeah, man, where do I start with this? I mean, Souls of Mischief was really important to us. It was really... You think about hip-hop music back then, right? You had a very distinctive sect of east coast hip-hop and in new york we had dj red alert and Funkmaster flex we had the new york radio stations a very rich hip-hop scene independent or underground hip-hop was just starting to come in so that wasn't really a thing just yet and then our west coast flavored hip-hop was very socal centric It was very of LA, so we had NWA and D-O-C, Dre, Snoop Dogg. West Coast rap was very distinctive. And then, of course, East Coast was taking off with Jay-Z and Biggie and all the other things. And then we had the Native Tongue, if you liked Tribe, if you liked Dela. There was all EPMD, KRS, Public Enemy. It was such a rich tapestry of hip-hop and everything. That that came out of especially in New York and the East Coast, whether it was Brand Nubian or Big Daddy Kane, or Cool Mo D, LL Cool J, like we had, you know, those were like those were the forefathers, those were the uncles, and then hip hop was springing out of that. So everybody had their own distinct sort of portion and and role to play in hip hop. And then all of a sudden, in the early to mid '90s, this other West Coast hip hop started to come out. Which was a Northern California thing, which was not on our radar at all. And that was, you know, included the hieroglyphics crew, which consisted of very much like an East Coast native tongue with Jungle Brothers and Tribe Called Quest and De La Soul. Hieroglyphics was Souls of Mischief, Del the Homo sapien, who's still on the scene. Del's very distinctive, awesome, also part of the gorillas. And Casual. So we had this very and they had a very distinctive sound. I loved the sort of Oakland-based San Francisco Northern California-based hip hop because it was very distinctive. It was a little bit of East Coast mixed with their own flavor. And so now you had this whole other thing of now you had East Coast hip hop, West Coast, which was like so SoCal, West Coast stuff. And then you had this th- new thing coming out of Northern California. And it just caught on really quick. It became really tied in with skateboarding. So back then, the 411 videos that came out monthly or bi monthly, and just skate culture in general really caught on to the Northern California hip-hop really quick. And it had a very distinctive atmosphere to it. It was nostalgic. It was fun. But it also like went a little deeper with talking about stuff. And had, I had a little bit of a battle rap East Coast element to it. Braggadocious and all that, but it had a little something actually. It had a little extra flavor. It talked about a day in the life, much like Souls of Mischief always reminded me of like a West Coast tribe called Quest. That's what they always reminded me of. And this track just takes me back to, you know, that last year of 93 and into 94, my last year on Long Island before leaving for college. I already graduated in the summer of 92. And this was kind of my year to just kind of shuffle off responsibility. You know, it was all about hanging out with PJ, hanging out with the people I skated with, my long-term girlfriend at the time, um, hanging out at the skate shop, fast food, raver chicks. Like, it was all about just, like, having fun. I had to work my little shifts at the supermarket, get that done as quick as possible, and just have a good time. Video games at night, hitting the arcade, Street Fighter, Samurai Showdown, Mortal Kombat. This song is really the theme song is the track behind all that you know pl- popping it in the cassette deck and playing it in the car while we went out east to the skate park which was really far away of, uh in south hold on eastern long island which is far from where we were and that was like one of our haunts and just really like reminds me like i even to this day i'll pop this song in Colin, like it reminds me of the car smelling like french fries and grip tape. you know what i mean it reminds me of like Someone's cheap cologne that they dashed on because we just had an all-day skate session, and then they, I was going to drop them off to go see their girlfriend, like, or go out to eat with the gang at like a Fridays or something. So it was like that very specific period of irresponsibility, just plain fun before, and you know my early, I moved to, to Philly in February '94. I started art school, and my early Philly experiences were fun. But this was a very distinctive atmosphere. I can remember winter and fall, just the way the trees looked, shooting down the Long Island Expressway to go you know, to a skate spot. We were kind of all over Long Island and into the city and into the boroughs at that point. And just having a great time. And it's funny because there's other albums that I could kind of draw up with this time period. Like I think of De La's third album, Balooed Mind State. Very distinctive album of this period too. But based on the power and strength of a single song, a single track, it has to be "Souls of Mischief '93" to "Infinity." And you know, I I sort of adopted this as me and PJ's song too. My best friend, all even though PJ and I met in '91, this seemed to be the song that just encaps, encapsulates our time together as teenagers coming into our 20s on Long Island, still going through the throes of like that Peter Pan Neverland peter pan syndrome thing of like we're not going to do anything except skate and have a great time hang out with girls whatever and it was, this was kind of the last throes of that you know and this album was always in the background as specifically this track and uh yeah i felt like i had to mention it to yeah, sum I, up the conversation for myself
2: i was gonna say this song yeah remind, i'm glad you touched on pj because that obviously reminds me of you pj it's a great song it's on my playlist it comes up and it has that very there's something about 90s hip-hop to me specifically that Sounds extra nostalgic because I think a lot of '80s centric hip hop sounds a little rudimentary, and so it feels old. There's something. Point. There's a Far Side song that. Hold on, I gotta. What song is it? I'm so glad you brought that up because it's very much running the song "Running" by Far Side. Great. Just the way that song begins, Mm -hmm. if you go listen to it come on come on come on yeah you know like great it's album. like and like the the scratching starts and the and they're you can tell they're in the studio raising the volume a little bit and the beat begins and so i'm like this is a very goosebump worthy nostalgia song definitely yeah
3: and they were bringing a different flavor those those specific bands souls far side is a great one like they were bringing a really brand new flavor to hip-hop we had never heard anything like that before it was a whole new iteration on this genre of music and if you think back i know for some of you younger cats you don't really realize that but think back to that time it was only really one of two or three things and then of course later on we got the dirty south sort of genre that sort of compartmentalized that thing but then yeah the north the northern california thing was really was really special and uh yeah far side's another conversation we have to have you know at some point in the future when we talk about music
2: all right the final song, I actually changed this one up from what I was going to what I told you I was going to do. Oh, I, I no. wanted to bring in I wanted to bring in a song. You know, I have a lot of literal melancholy in this list, so I wanted to have some figurative melancholy. OK, and uh, I wanted to bring up the song Coheed and Cambria's Welcome Home. Now, this song came to mind for me when I was when I was scrolling through my music earlier because. I'm not a Coheed and Cambria fan at all. In fact, I don't know very many of their songs. I didn't discover this song until three years after it came out, and. It didn't spur me on to really look for more. But the reason that I discovered this song was because it was a huge part of the original rock band, which came out in 2007. And rock band, as you guys will know out there, was the second major and and rival to the music uh, genre with alongside Guitar Hero. Now, obviously, we had DDR. We had all sorts of weird drum games. But this was really like mainstream stuff. And I had started working at IGN in 2007 and rock band and guitar hero were really, really, really taking root at this point. And we used to get together and play after work and we'd get played at at people's houses. And we just got really into playing rock band. And, you know, 2007 and 2008 were really good times in my life. I was just moving to San Francisco. I was single. I was young. I had no money. I didn't know any better. I was out and about drinking and smoking and hanging out meeting girls and going to work like you said I worked a corporate job at IGM but I would want you know just be working so we can go and hang out that that following night and we were all like a brotherhood and the reason I was saying that the melancholy is figurative is because it reminds me of a time before my unpersoning let's say when I had a larger group of friends who I really liked being around and I have very very specific memories of playing this song and watching people play this song and how much everyone loved it there's a great refrain at the end of the song with all this chanting that that's awesome you know it's great in the regular song and it's cool in the rock band version and reminds me of playing specifically at my friend nate's house he had like an hg an hd projector in their living room and it was so like it was huge and we all got to really enjoy it that way and it reminds me of those early to mid 20s year years of my life where things were pretty good and i had a decent social life and a good social circle around me and it's funny because i just randomly i don't know why but on my youtube it re- recommended like an old podcast beyond episode i think like episode two 200 or, oh, wow. or something like that and so i went and watched it and it's just so funny watching me interact with people that don't like me anymore or whatever it reminded me of that and i guess that's kind of maybe why when i saw coheed in cambray that was kind of on my mind i'm like oh this song actually is drawn from a very specific moment because as i said it's just not a band that really spoke to me and that i didn't care i didn't care about this it comes from this record with some absurd name good apollo i'm burning star four volume one from fear through the eyes of madness it's like all right enough that's the title that's the title of the album it's (laughs) you know frog rock or whatever but it's it's uh it's too much for me i I wasn't into getting further into it so this song really is a place and time thing and i know that people that were around for the rock like rock band when it was huge and when it was at its at its Uh, genesis will remember this song because this was just one of those songs that you didn't have that many options later on they would release songs every week and before you knew you had hundreds of songs and and sequels and stuff but at the time it's like you had 30 or 25 or 50 songs wherever it was and so you started hearing the same shit over and over again and you had to really find the ones that you liked and so welcome home by coheed and cambria is just reminds me of those games reminds me of that era in my life reminds me of friendship and Reminds me of all those kinds of things, so I, ha- I had to end with that. I had a more melancholy choice for the last one, but we can do this episode again in the future. There's so many stories to tell about music, so yeah, that's that's cool, it, man. I don't know if I know this last track that you and mentioned. you I probably know. will if you listen to it. Yeah, Welcome Home. I, I highly recommend it. it. It's a great, it's a great song, really epic, pro- like prog rock song. But, but yeah, I, I think that out of all of the ones that I mentioned, I think that you'll enjoy the Head Automatica one the most. Yes,
3: I'm going to listen to that one first. I'll go in order, actually. Okay, cool. Listen to those today while I work.
2: Cool. I happen to know the songs that you that you uh, recommend. Yeah, with the exception of the Public Enemy one, which I probably have to just go look up. When um, you when you hear it, you'll be like, "Oh yeah, yeah, this one." But yeah, so I have. I guess I have that little bit of an advantage. But always good to talk music with you. I feel like we have to. Well, we don't have to do anything, but we should do it more. Yeah, it's fun. I love music. You love music, and yeah, it is fun. Like there's so much to say. I really feel like we could. I feel like the way we treat music or the way we treat TV shows and movies, like we should be treating albums like that. When we do a show, we should do a show about Sergeant Pepper. We should do a show about the wall. We should do a that's show a great idea. about whatever. So we'll get there. We'll start in 2022. I think we'll start incorporating music more. Uh, and I think this is a good reminder of why.
3: Yeah, I love I love the album idea. I think that's a great idea.
2: Yeah, why not? I mean, why not? Yeah, of course. All right, Dig. Well, let's end every episode of knockback like we always do with a dad joke. I throw it over to you for that.
3: All right, my friend. I feel like we've done a lot of flying insect jokes for some reason, but let's do one more. Sure. Kyle, yeah. where do wasps like to get lunch? I don't know. <laughs> a bistro. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> so
2: that's nursery school level.
1: Yeah, that's not that's not
3: sometimes we got to, you know, make them a little less sophisticated. Right. I feel like we have to. Go in waves.
2: You can't set expectations that that they're always going to be grand no. slams.
3: Next time we'll do a second grade joke.
2: Right. And we'll Make work it our a way little back better, up. A little right. more
3: sophisticated right. for you guys.
2: Keep them wanting more. Very good. <laughs> all right, Dave. Well, thank you for your time. And thank you all out there for your love, kindness, and support of Knockback. Remember, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash last for early ad-free access to every episode of the show. That also goes for Defining Duke, our Xbox podcast, Sacred Symbols, our PlayStation podcast, and more. Get your name in the credits. Submit your inquiries for the various shows, topic ideas, and so on. We really support, uh, appreciate your support over there. But of course, you can leave us nice reviews on iTunes, etc. Watch us on YouTube and subscribe there. That's basically it. We'll see That'd you next time. It. Yeah, that's it. We'll see you next time for more Knockback. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye. Knockback, a retro and nostalgia podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC, and is recorded from Central Virginia and the Philadelphia suburbs, USA. The show was conceived by and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Dagan Moriarty. Knockback's executive producer is Dustin Furman, and the show is edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand Media's shows, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com laststand media. The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and we're grateful for your kindness and generosity. Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, S.L. FMA, Jorge Palmino, Daniel Diamore, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Dave Cowell, Tom Quinn, Grayson Maxwell, Cody Woodall, Sorta of Serious Gaming, Unofficial Controller Podcast, Colin Farley, Mark Arnold, Zia Parix, Henry Groth, Joshua Rids, Relentless Rex, Troy Miller, Meyer Katz, Jordan Mittman, J.A. Zhu, Tristan Palacio, Drew Mullen, Christian R., Jad Rita, Patrick Skipper, Sweaty Mitt, Chris Kelly, Dustin Graff, Peyton Stone, Roberto, Josh Hallen-Rui, Tyler Watkins, Michael Buffalo, Troilus True, Dan Root, Talisman, Christopher, Randall Holsey, Robbie Norman, Nuke Dukum, Jim Bob 56, William Holbert, Josh Godfrey, Kalique Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Daniel Johnson, H Tron, Jay Getter, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Galja of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadeth, Poot, Gavin Newland, Saul Balcazar, Zach Parsley, Brian White, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Alex Bolton, Matt Martin, Kinums, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Caswell, Anti and Chris, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Justin Gonzalez, Mason Cadillac, Ali. Fritz, Derek O, Zach Allen, Kyle Hagel, Christopher, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naaman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, Stewie 108, Patrick Montgomery, Damon W., Tom Cargill, Richter 86, Steve Hodge, Ian Bravo, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Kevin Komaki, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Jonathan Coates, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelich, Jordan Town, Brian Chan, Organic Produce, Carlos Algarit, Richard Hebert Third, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Gavin, Joey Andrzek, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Uzel, Eric Fin. Binder, Lou and Ray Loper, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Anton K., Brian W. Rath, Alan Trembley, Tyler Bellow, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zuniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrero, Lennon Brixie, James Kinslow III, Will Caldwell, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kinniston, Tyler Goodwin, William O'Carroll, Jesper Jansen, Max Cannon, Phil Crone, Throw7, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Petro Rose, Lockmore, Geo Corsi, Joey John holliger Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, David I. Colucci, Paul Joyce, Edwin Castillo, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Scarson peterson Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Harper, Mad Mock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming